We are the first generation to feel the impact of climate change and the last generation that can do something about it. Countries like Tuvalu that are quite literally sinking and it's very, very hard for countries like the UK or the US to conceptualize that. We're standing in the methane pavilion right now. I've noted that this year has a lot more free coffee. That has always been a scarce resource at previous COPs. Yeah, I'm helping out with the cryosphere pavilion. Come on, babe! Come on! Get stuck in! This is the Generation One podcast from University College London, turning science into action. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the next episode of UCL Generation One. I am Matt Winning, and I'm joined at COP26 by Mark Maslin. We're both here, Mark. This is your first day. Uh, this is my first full day, and I can tell that Matt's already on day two and has already forgotten his own name. That's how amazingly busy and crazy COP is. It has been quite full on, is how I would describe it thus far. It's hard to describe to people until you arrive here. It feels like, I mean, I don't know if other people have, have been to the Edinburgh Fringe before, but it feels like that, but for climate people. So I've done quite a few COPs, but this one feels a bit different. I mean... The only way I can describe it is imagine that tension you have at a cup final and then just keep that going for two solid weeks. I mean, people are literally running around, talking to people, engaging with people, and they've got that sort of slightly wide-eyed, scary look in their eyes. Because, again, I think at the bottom of everybody's heart, everybody knows this really matters. It's interesting that you say it's like a cup final. I do like that analogy. It does feel like a cup final. I'd wonder if cup finals would be better, you know, football, obviously, if we're talking about, would be better if, you know, the teams were negotiating what the final score was going to be. Do you think it's because it's in the UK, maybe that the UK media is more focused, or do you think it's internationally? I think it's very international. I mean, there's lots and lots of press from all around the world. And I think what really feels different about this COP is this is not a negotiation to get a starting agreement. We already have an agreement. What this is, is a negotiation about how do we operationalize that? And that's something that we don't know how to do. But I think what people are missing is the discussions underneath, because what we're actually trying to negotiate now is how do you decarbonize the whole world in a fair and equitable way? And let's be really honest about it. 80% of the world's energy now is produced from fossil fuels. So we're talking about 30 years to completely reinvent our infrastructure, our energy production and our society. And so now we've got the Paris Agreement, countries are looking at each other and going, yes, we really agree, this is brilliant, but we have no idea how we're going to do it. And actually, the Paris Agreement has set that scene and this... COP is really exciting because it's about negotiating what are the rules of engagement, what are the accountancy rules about who can claim what. It's all the really boring, nitty-gritty bureaucracy that's actually going to save our planet ultimately. It's a good point. I think what the media often look for is some sort of big headline splash thing and what really is is a lot of detail and hopefully we'll try to bring you some of that detail over the next two weeks. I'm here for the first week, Mark's here for the whole time. Hopefully we'll bring you some other UCL people while we're here as well as interviews with 
interesting people we meet along the way. We haven't seen any world leaders yet, but Ed Miliband's being very loud in the background at the moment. He's got his own podcast to do. I waved at John Kerry. He didn't wave back. He didn't wave back at Mark. Well, that is a shame. I, d- I did I already, within, I think, two minutes of being in, I did see Greta Thunberg and Nicola Sturgeon having a photo opportunity with each other. So, you know, we're rubbing shoulders with people here, but we're also sort of sat on the floor recording a podcast at the same time. So that's COP. Um, we'll be back with some more. We'll speak soon over the next week. I mean, for you, it'll just be the next bit of the podcast, but for us, it'll be days later, probably. Thanks. In the time it takes to walk the one kilometre length of the COP venue, you could play your part by pledging your climate action at ucl.ac.uk forward slash climate dash change. Good afternoon. I am here with UCL alumnus... Honorary uh, Senior Research Fellow and Head of Energy Supply at the IEA, Christoph, Dr. Christoph McGlade. And now that I've done your introduction, uh, that's the end of the interview. There's no more time for anything else. Thank you very much for joining me, Christoph. <laughs> no, great to be here with you. How has it been so far? It's been very interesting. There's been, I think, lots of interesting, concrete things people have Announced, committed, committed to. to. Yeah. Um, we're standing in the Methane Pavilion right now. Yes, the Methane Pavilion. Methane's been a big announcement so far. So it's 100 countries have signed up, right. um, and that number was increasing by the hour um, just prior to the announcement of the pledge. Okay. Um, so very good to see they've all signed up. Yeah. Obviously, someone needs to do something about the emissions now. Yes. Signing, signing up is one thing, doing something is another. Yeah. But yeah, that's very positive progress. We we saw the announcement on coal yesterday as well. Yeah. And obviously there's also been a number of announcements on new countries reaching net zero. So there's been a lot of announcements so far. Yeah. And the IA have, have done some quick analysis on these announcements and come up with where this might take us in the future. If you just take what everyone has said they were doing yeah. up to that date. If you take everyone at their word. At their word. It's yeah. a very big if. Yes. And it's a big assumption, but let's just see what it means. Prior to COP, we estimated that that led to a temperature rise about 2.1 degrees. Right. With the methane pledge, with the net zero pledges, you know, India's now in, announced something, Brazil's announced something, Russia, put them all together, now we're at 1.8. It might be the case that now climate conferences become pretty boring. Yeah. It's all about technologically, how do we do this? You know, what's the sorts of things we need to think about, but it's all about implementation rather than the ambition. So targets are there, and now it's about actually doing it. Doing it. Okay, well, thanks very much for stopping by and chatting at the Methane Pavilion. Good afternoon. It is Wednesday, the 3rd of November, and we are at COP26 still. Uh, I'm Dr Matt Winning, and I'm here with fellow UCL delegate and PhD student, Robbie Mallet. Hi, Robbie. Hello. Uh, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm slowly getting used to the atmosphere and the timetable, but having fun. Yep, glad to hear it. How? Uh, well, what are you? Can you tell me what you've been doing so far? Yeah, I'm helping out with the Cryosphere Pavilion. So, COP26 uh, basically happens in this giant hangar full of full of booths, and one of the booths or pavilions is dedicated to the cryosphere. So, all of the world's ice and the way it's melting. You're like trying to get a guess politicians, policymakers, to talk about ice. Is that correct? Yeah, so 
politicians are naturally elected by countries so care a lot about what happens in their countries and also what happens in other people's countries but the Arctic and Antarctic often fall outside national boundaries so it's very easy to forget about the cryosphere and, and the, the ice that's so important to the world's climate. There's been a, a, already some sort of deal on reducing methane emissions. Is that relevant to the Arctic? Yeah, methane is, is falls within a category called short-lived climate forces, and the Arctic is very sensitive to those. So there are other ones like CFCs, black carbon, uh, other industrial pollutants that we really care about. So uh, we're pretty pleased about the methane deal, but the big prize and the one that we're all thinking about is carbon dioxide reduction. Right, OK. Can you tell me, Robbie, what it is that you, in your PhD, actually look at? So I spend my time looking at sea ice from space using satellites that are put up by NASA and the European Space Agency. And in particular, I look at how the sea ice is thinning. And for a long time, we've been looking at how the area of the sea ice has been decreasing. But now we're really starting to focus on how it's also decreasing in thickness from often several metres to tens of centimetres. And that's really important because... The area of the sea ice has halved over the last 50 or so years, but the thickness is also halved. So we're at 25% total now. That is actually really interesting. I hadn't quite realised that. You also, I often have heard of you know the sea ice extent reducing, and you think, oh yeah, it's sort of shrinking for, for, you know, from the outside in. I guess it's a bit like someone balding around the side, but not noticing how much their hair is actually thinning on top. You've got to look at the whole picture, the whole head of hair. Exactly. It's all about the whole head of hair, and that's a really, really nice analogy. It really plays on the male anxiety, so I think I'm going to steal that one. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for your time, Robbie. Enjoy the rest of COP. Yeah, you too. Thank you. You're listening to Generation One at the COP26 Climate Conference. I am in the action hub at COP26. I mean, it sounds more exciting than it is there's a bit of action but not like nobody's fighting each other and I am with Angelica Johansson who's a PhD student at UCL uh, and she is looking at the UN FCCC the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change did I get that right? yeah yes she, that's her PhD so you this is your being here this is part of your PhD is that right? Yeah, so I'm follow, following the loss and damage negotiations. So basically you have mitigation, you have adaptation, and there's this new thing called loss and damage. Um, so I'm studying that. <laughs> and so loss and damage, if I'm correct, and you're the expert here, loss and damage is basically when you can't mitigate or you can't adapt to climate change, and essentially you're, you have to just go, well, this, this is going to be lost to climate change. Yeah, so it's uh, some some would argue it's the third pillar of the UNFCCC architecture, okay. and it's kind of beyond what we can adapt to. But loss and damage as a concept is really broad, uh, and in it, it's covering mitigation, adaptation, risk risk management, and and everything beyond adaptation. So it's a interesting and very broad uh, policy field to study. Okay, so. What have you been up to so far while you've been here? We're on day three, is that right? Day three, Wednesday. What have I been up to? I have been... Uh, so, because the negotiations haven't been open to observers um, because of the high-level meetings, I haven't really been able to follow the negotiations. So, I have been spending a lot of time in the observer space trying to understand how people move in the space and... Um, which involves hanging around in the pavilion area, you know? So, you, your job's essentially hanging around, yeah. watching people. 
yeah. and then writing about that. That's pretty sweet. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like a nice thing to do a PhD on. Is it different from other cops? Not really. It's the weird thing with cops. They're all different. They're also, like, really the same. So um, I haven't been in the green zone yet. I've only been in the kind of blue zone area. And the pavilions are here. Um, the action hub, which I'm not really sure what we are doing here, but there is cameras and people sitting working. Yeah, there's a lot of media, there's a lot of people sitting in chairs, some on the floor. I've noted that this year has a lot more free coffee. That has always been a scarce resource at previous COPs. Right, yeah. But what I've noted at this COP is that chairs tend to be so, the scarce thing. So there's coffee available, but not much of a place if you want to rest, rest your feet, essentially. Yeah, that's okay, my thing. Good, good. Okay, well, shall we leave it there? Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> it is Youth Day at COP26, and Mark is here with me once again. Hi guys, yep, I've made it back into COP. Yes, getting in and out has been a lot of fun. Well, it's not really getting in and out of COP itself because uh, if, you, if you time it right, the crowds and all the queues are much less. But actually today, it was actually getting to the centre because there are incredible protests going outside. Always what amazes me is the amount of energy. I mean, this is a protest that actually stretches for over a mile wow. just standing. And the amount of noise and celebration there is incredible. And I was saying to Matt that actually I walked into the conference centre and for the first time I went, oh, a calm, quiet place, which I can't <laughs> believe that I've said that about COP. In, in my youth, the protests were angry, uh, bricks were being thrown all the time. You know, there, there was a mm. real angst and, uh, I would say, underlying sort of like violence of protests in the 80s. Whereas now, actually, it has a much more festival activity, you know, it has a real sort of like optimism. It, they, they know that once they get in control of the country or countries, they're going to change things. And so it's, it's a really different atmosphere. Yeah. And you're going to try and speak today with one of your uh, younger master students who's here, is that right? Oh, so one of my fantastic master students, uh, Janelle, is brilliant. She's from Jamaica and she's so cool that she's actually in the Jamaican delegation. So she has much better access than either Matt or I. She has a, <laughs> she has a platinum card into the negotiation. So I'm going to be sneaking a chat with her sort of uh, to see what insight she has from the front lines. Great. I mean, this is probably a good point to cut to that interview. So I'm here in COP26 and it is day five and I'm here with Janelle Williams who's one of our incredible master students at UCL and she's also part of the Jamaican delegation. So Janelle, how have you been finding COP26? Well, this is my first COP. Um, it's been a very interesting experience so far, especially being one of the youth arms of the Jamaican delegation. Um, so it's very interesting to listen to some of the conversations um, and see how it feeds into some of the, the things that we'll be basically implementing back home. So why have they included you in the delegation? Because I think it's fantastic that they're embracing youth and sort of like dynamicism and obviously some of the best students at UCL, but what, what are they hoping to gain? 
I think um, the Jamaican delegation uh, wanted to include you so that we can not only learn about you know what the government has um, in mind and from a national scale and a global scale, but also to include us because we're going to be the next generation being involved in future COP. So if you start us young, we understand the process, we understand you know where we are involved as a small island, then it makes it better when we actually step into those shoes later on. That is amazingly forward thinking. Um, so have you seen anything that's been really exciting at COP? Are there any revelations that you can have from the inner sanctum? <laughs> the inner sanctum. Um, so I've been basically attending a lot of events geared towards mitigation, adaptation, and as far as the um, small island development states are concerned, loss and damage, which is actually one of the biggest conversations happening here um, for small islands. So AOSIS had a meeting um, yesterday and a couple days before as well, and what they've been discussing is the necessity for an additional stream of funding geared towards loss and damage. If you think about small islands, sure, mitigation is something that we are actually working on um, adaptation is also necessary but so is loss and damage yeah. right now there is no specific and um, funding stream for that and it's something that they've been advocating for um, something that is flexible accessible and something that they can utilize going forward to address their climate crisis so why do you think that there is a need for a different funding stream because we were talking earlier and you were saying that there are some things that loss and damage doesn't cover what what sort of things are we thinking about here well it wouldn't be beyond loss and damage it would include loss and damage so that funding will cover not just um, reclamation of land and protection of citizens but you're also thinking about relocation outside of the caribbean you have countries like tuvalu that are literally and quite literally sinking and it's very, very hard for countries like the UK or the US to conceptualize that. Um, and so this is something that AOSIS and small island development states are literally pushing for. I also wanted to ask, you've had some deep insights into um, what's going on in the Article 6 negotiations. So for our listeners who may not know all of the UN protocols, so Article 6 is the bit whereby countries work out how to account for carbon going in and going out of the system and basically making sure there's no a double accounting. So you've been sitting in on those uh, negotiations um, and you've had some really quite profound insights. <laughs> so being in those negotiations have actually been quite interesting simply because while I appreciate that different countries, different regions have their own interests and things that they would like to change or edit in the current version of the article, they seem more focused on where they differ more, the, more than where they are aligned. And I think that might cause some kind of you know, hindrance as to how we move forward. I would like to think that they'd want to focus on the things that they agree on so at least they can move to the stage of implementation rather than sort of nitpick on where we may or may not agree, if that makes sense. <laughs> so, Brilliant. Thank you so much, Janelle. Thank you. You're listening to Generation One at the COP26 Climate Conference. Okay, it is Energy Day at COP26 and I am with Professor Jim Watson, who is the Director of the Institute for Sustainable Resources at UCL. Jim, hello. Hi, hi. Nice what, to be here. What are you doing here? Yeah, so we're working with a number of universities and partners in low and middle income countries. Okay. And the idea of this is to basically develop tools and methods and do research with partners in those countries 
to help them invest in low carbon energy and transport infrastructure. And how's the, how's the project going so far? Well, it's been a flying start because we've only been going since January and it's been rather frenetic, particularly because of having COP the time it is. So uh, one thing I've been heavily involved in is um, basically commissioning a set of, I think we've done about 40 policy briefings um, for the Cabinet Office in the UK government, commissioned with a call from researchers in lower middle income countries, their thousand word summaries, everything ranging from how do you use interconnectors in Indonesia to help uh, expand the use of renewable energy, all the way through to a project in Zambia I happen to be involved in talking to stakeholders about how you align the recovery from COVID with climate policy. So there's a range of briefings. They're now being fed into various offices and discussions around the world. But we had a session uh, yesterday presenting uh, a selected highlights of those and getting reactions to them. So that's been a very... It's just an example of the kind of speed at which we've moved. They'll eventually come out as academic papers too. But as we all know, that takes a hell of a long time. Yeah, longer. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess COP's quite good for that to sort of... It gives people a deadline and also means that things perhaps that would become long, lengthy, academic, you know, peer-reviewed things, actually you start presenting it because people are interested in what, what's happening now. That's absolutely true. It's a bit of an experiment because, you know, I've, done, I've been involved in processes like this before when the paper comes out and then you do a short version for, for people yeah, yeah. to read in English, as it were. <laughs> but, um, but actually we're doing it the other way around. We're getting the, the short version out quickly. We had to do internal peer review because you have to be yeah, satisfied yeah. it's based on real data and research and good results. But then the longer paper, that is going to take, you know, well into next year with the normal timescales of journals. But I think it's something the UK government were keen on. They wanted the kind of kudos of a, a good evidence base by academics. They wanted the inclusivity, so they wanted researchers from lower middle income yeah. countries to be involved. But of course, as you said, they've got that time pressure of wanting the evidence quickly for the dialogues they're conducting with these countries in the run-up to COP. And actually, I learned yesterday they're going to carry those on for at least another five years beyond COP as well, So, oh, wow. which is really nice to hear that COP isn't the kind of end of the process. You're actually going to continue beyond, beyond that. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me this afternoon. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Um, Jim and I are going to go off and try and listen to some people talk about phasing out coal now. Yeah, it's a big announcement today, and um, I'm looking forward to hearing more detail behind the headlines, really. Yes, more detail. what it really means. Yeah, we're academics. We like the detail. We like detail, yeah. Thanks very much, Jim. Thank you. Come on, Bev! Come on! Get stuck in! We're at Hamilton Academicals. It is a cold, blustery night here in Glasgow, or I should say just outside Glasgow in Hamilton. Yes, yes. We're under the floodlights. There's a bit of a crowd. But yeah, and this is an aid of climate change. Yeah, it is. All of this. The women's game is going on at the moment, and there's some dirty tackles going in there, I've just seen. But no, this is all about raising awareness of climate change, particularly young people worrying about sort of climate change and that it's really causing some climate anxiety. So supporting young people, mental health charity and raising awareness about climate change at the same time. And we've got, Sensible. We've got the leader of the uh, Labour Party, Anna Soir, who's playing on my team. Yes. yes. Uh, but we also got Douglas Ross to make sure there's a bit of a balance, but he's uh, the referee for the game, so I reckon there'll be some dodgy yellow cards going on. Yeah. Yeah. 
We've got Gary Folds here. Gary, you're looking forward to the match? I, I'm, I'm just had a McDonald's there, mate. I had to, <laughs> I had to nip away and get a tap because the, the tops are tiny. I, I, I did the train. I'm no, not gonna no, I've not either, so don't worry. It's, I had a McDonald's breakfast as well, so I'm well fueled. So you've... you've, you've uh... You've had the full shebang today. I, I, I didn't get the, the plant free burger, so I'm sorry to the side. No, I, I mean. But I'm making changes. Please. I'm making changes. Yeah, just try I'm, it. I'm going to, I'm going to plant a tree for every buffet I go to, which will be about 10 trees a week. Lot, <laughs> we should really go and warm up, but uh, it's kind of warm up here. Oh, look, the blue team. Right, right, okay, we're off to warm up. Generation 1 at COP26. This is Mark Mazin reporting from the heart of COP26. We are now halfway through week two and the frantic pace of week one has died down and you can see the tiredness coming into people's limbs as they're walking around the actual COP. Now, in week one, we had some great announcements on deforestation, defunding coal, and reducing methane by 30% by 2030. But the interesting thing is that week two has started off with some really interesting announcements as well. For example, Africa announced that they were going to have parity support for mitigation and adaptation. So that was really important because that's $25 billion that will be given equally to mitigation, reducing the carbon footprint of industry and the countries, but also equally given to adaptation to support and protect the people. There was a billion dollars promised for a new facility to develop drought-resistant maize. If that could happen, that could feed another 200 million people as climate change bites. So what's going to happen over the next two days is there are going to be huge amounts of negotiation to try and get those top line agreements in place so they can be a big announcement at the end of COP26. These, we hope, will include the aspiration of all countries to actually go on the decarbonisation pathway which allow us to hit net zero by 2050. We hope that that $100 billion that has been promised will actually occur and we're also hoping that all the accountancy rules about who can claim different parts of carbon emissions or carbon sinks will actually be sorted out so we actually have the rule book to basically make Paris work. Next week's podcast will be hosted by our very own Helen Chesky and she'll be asking the big question what was actually agreed at COP26 and will it make a difference to climate change? Will we stick to the climate targets of the Paris Agreement? That's it from this episode of Generation One from University College London, turning climate science into action. If you'd like to ask a question or suggest a guest or leave us a voice note and an email that you would like to hear, then you can do that at podcasts at ucl.ac.uk. Otherwise, for more information about UCL's work in the climate space and what our staff and students as well as our researchers are doing to make sure that we don't just talk the talk but actually walk the walk to a more sustainable future head over to UCL Generation 1 website 
or use the hashtag UCL Generation One.